Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. So, welcome to our Catechism class, Lord's Day 21, question 54, and we're having our second look at the doctrine of the Holy Catholic Church. In our last lesson, we began to look at the Catechist teaching about the Church, and we learned that it is holy, in other words, it is different from any earthly organisation, and that it is Catholic, by that we don't mean Roman Catholic, but universal in the true sense of the word and that it is a gathered, called-out community of saints, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Catechist asks us in question 54, What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? And the answer we must give is, I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am, and forever shall remain, a living member of it. The answer to the catechism question is divided into two parts. Into Christ's relationship to his church, and then my personal involvement and part in that church. In this lesson, let's begin the first part of that answer. And let's see how the Lord Jesus is drawing his church to himself, how he is building his church. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So we're taught in our catechism that the church has been gathered out of all the human race, from every age of humanity, by God's only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew 16 in your Bible, and let's read the scriptures together. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now be sure to keep your Bible open at that text. In Matthew 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the church. So we'll use that text to help us with our lesson. Remember that the Greek word translated church is the word ecclesia, it literally means an assembly, a congregation. And Jesus tells us that he is building it. And just like any other building, it will have many facets. So what does the church that Jesus is building look like? Well, there's at least three seemingly contrasting terms that we use to describe the church. We say that the church is both universal and local. 
we say the church is both invisible and visible. And we say that that the church is both militant and victorious. Let's look at those three seeming contrasts. The church is universal and it is local. Now, we've already partially looked at this. The church universal is a spiritual body of people known only to the Lord himself. There is no earthly organisation or headquarters of it. The church local is the only visible sign of the church. Local churches are made up of Christians in geographical areas, people who work and worship together as a unit. It's easy to identify a local church, a body of Christian believers, meeting together to serve and worship the Saviour. But then we speak about the church as being invisible and visible. There are those whom God has called to be part of his church, and only God himself knows who they are. But there is a church that can be seen, what we might call Christendom. It's a wide definition. It includes everyone from Roman Catholics to Free Presbyterians. Even the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses these days want to describe themselves as Christians. But we know that not all that glitters is gold. Just because a church or a denomination or an individual describes themselves as Christian, that does not mean that they are part of the church that God has called for himself and redeemed. The real church is not the church that we see, it is the church that God sees. And then the church is militant, and at the same time victorious, because the church is made up of those Christians who are still in the battle for the Lord, still in this life, and it's also made up of those believers who are already victorious, who have gone on before and who are gathered around the throne in glory, yet it is still one church. So the church that Jesus is building then is that great gathering of people who respond to the gospel in faith and obedience. They are the elect of God. They are blood-bought and blood-washed. They are gathered unto him from every age and every tongue and every nation. The psalmist rejoices in this wonderful company of the redeemed, in its diversity and its unity in Christ, in Psalm 87, verse 3 to 7. Let's join together and sing it to God's praise. The tune is Sussex. Glorious things of you are spoken, Zion, city of the Lord, many drawn from all the nations, as your people I record.
Well, let's go back to our text and our subject, because we have to consider the fact that the church only has one foundation. In the text that we read in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to Peter, the Apostle Peter, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. The church is built upon the rock. Of course, there's a great question there, who is that rock? And some people will tell you that the church is built upon Peter. That's what the Roman Catholic Church seems to teach, claiming that Peter was the first pope. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. There's no evidence that Peter was ever in Rome at all. Wasn't Jesus making that very point, though, when he told Peter that he was the rock upon which he, Jesus, would build his church? Now, lots and lots of Bible commentators have spoken and written on this verse, and lots of them have disagreed with each other about this verse. I think the best course of action might be just to let Peter himself tell us what he thinks that Jesus meant. Let's look at his writings. Here's an extract from a sermon Peter preached in Acts. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I wonder who he's talking about there. He's talking about Jesus, the chief cornerstone. And later on, writing to the church in general, Peter wrote in First Peter 2 and verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. Well, Peter clearly didn't think that when Jesus said, You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus was referring to him, Peter. And just in case we think Peter might have misunderstood Jesus that day, Paul was very quick to agree with him in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. He said, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2 and 20, he talks about the church having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So is Peter the first pope, and that's the claim of the Roman Catholic Church, but that idea was only raised long after some bishops began claiming universal authority over the church, hundreds of years after the church began. Even if Peter is the rock in this passage. There's absolutely no biblical basis for the idea that the church was built upon Peter. The church is built upon Christ. He is the chief cornerstone and his apostles, including Peter, are the next stage in its foundation. But our text teaches us something else about this church that Christ is constructing. This church has divine authority. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19. We read, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, 
and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm not going to deal with this right now. Our catechist deals with this specifically in Lord's Day 31, and we'll come to that in due course. So although it's part of this text, we're going to leave it aside and we'll look at it in a different lesson. For now, let's say something else about this church under construction by Christ that will encourage us and motivate us. And it is this. The church will have the final victory. Again, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, there is no doubt that at this present time, and indeed throughout history, all hell has been arrayed in opposition to the church of Christ. In Revelation chapter 20, we see a picture of the church. As it approaches the end of this gospel age of spiritual peace, the peace that Christ gives to the believer, the peace that begins when the heart's rebellion against God is ended, when the sinner surrenders and he experiences the peace of God that passes all understanding. Let's read about the church as that time of gospel preaching nears its end and the glorious second coming of the Lord draws near. Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 20 and we'll begin to read at verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of them is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now what a picture that is. The church described here as being the camp of the saints, surrounded by enemies on every side. Its fate almost seems to be sealed. Its destruction almost seems certain. But this church is the beloved of the Lord. It is his bride. And he rushes to its rescue. And the enemies of the Lord and his church are defeated. You see, the church that we look at may seem to be weak and small and facing insurmountable obstacles and mighty foes in this world. But our Lord Jesus Christ is greater than any of our foes and in him we have the victory. Here's Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So there's our lesson. Jesus is building his church upon the rock Christ Jesus, upon himself. He's gathering it out from the whole human race and he's giving his church the authority to declare his saving work. And he defends and preserves that church for himself. And because he defends and preserves it, he assures it of its final victory, no matter how great the opposition. 
Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.